0: Alright, you guys and gals are going to need a Bible. You're going to need a study guide, which is back on that table. You guys, did y'all enjoy your day off today? How many of you like slept in today? That's right, you didn't have a day off, did you? How many of you slept like 13 hours or something? I mean, at least one of you slept... 13 hours. Mr. Keith, how'd you enjoy your day off? It was great, wasn't it? Fantastic. Well, I am very excited about this lesson. I love walking through uh, this lesson anytime we come to it. And, And so as I was preparing for it, it just got me so excited and I got so fired up to look through it. We are going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. All right, so let me, let me share with you guys. And Mr. Keith, you probably know about this. Mr. Drew, you probably know about these things. Too. When you were growing up, I don't know if kids still do this. I don't know if my kids even know this. But we used to do this a lot. We used to go, we were kids. All right, I understand we were kids. We'd go, we'd put our hands together like this and we'd go, here's the church. You guys ever done this? Yeah, here's the church, here's the steeple, and then you know what you do? This was the big reveal, ready? You, you go, open the doors, and where's all the people? Did you guys ever do that? Huh? Anthony was doing it just a few minutes ago. All right, there was another way to do it, there was another way to do it. Here it was, here it was, you take it, it's kind of the same thing, but you take your fingers like this. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Alright, you ready for this? Open the doors. And there's all the people. And you wiggle your fingers like that. Okay. Did y'all ever? Did y'all do both variations there? Was, yeah? Alright. How old were you when you stopped doing that? Like it was yesterday? huh? Since you were seven? 78? It's a little older than I would have thought. No, when we, when we look at stuff like that, it's, it's just a reminder, it's a silly way of thinking that, that a church is designed to have people in it. The tragedy is when you open that up and there's nobody inside, it's kind of for, or at least it should be for kids, you're kind of like, oh, there's nobody there, where are the people? When you open it up and there's a lot of fingers wiggling in there, you're like, there they are, there's the people, and it's an exciting thing, okay? Now, how many of you, you're in church, you're in a church building, right now there are people sitting here, Right now, how many of you have ever been into a church before where, like, there was nobody worshiping at all? Have y'all ever been in there, one like that before? I have. I've been in several, actually. Did you, you said you have. Did you say you had? Do I not? You've been in an empty church? When you walk into an empty church, it's almost like the quiet... Is just, it's just more quiet than it should be. I'll walk into a room by myself, and I won't think anything of it. You walk into a church by yourself, and you're like, it's a little quiet in here. But I've also been in a church building before where there were a lot of people, but no one was worshiping. I'll give you this example. Uh, for those of you who went with me to New Orleans a couple of summers ago, On our day off, at the end, we went into a Roman Catholic church. Beautiful building, beautiful building. And when we walked in there, everything was decorated. Everything was put together in a very intentional and realistic way. The statues were immaculate. The... The place was clean. There were tons of people in there. There really was nobody in there worshiping. I have told the story a couple of times, and I'll say it again. When I walked in there, and when Trent Gillum was beside me, and we walked up to a bunch of candles that were being lit, and Trent got a little closer to those candles than I wanted him to, he said, what are these lit for? I said, stop, 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 stop. I was so afraid he was going to blow them out. All right? Because if he blew them out, oh, we would have been kicked out, all right? But we walk in there, and there were a lot of tourists, but there were no worshipers. So I'm going to ask you this, was that church, was that church fulfilling its intended purpose? What do you think? I absolutely agree with that. That's the word I was going to use. It didn't feel like a church. It felt more like a museum. You walk in, you see all these things around there, and they're really interesting to look at. But it didn't feel like a church. It it felt more like a museum. Because there were tourists there. There weren't any worshipers. So what separates a tourist from a worshiper? What do you think? What made them just tourists versus worshipers? They just walk in, walk out, and what were you saying? They're just there to see they're just there to take in the sights, right? But maybe not to maybe not to really let it mean anything, just to see something. Yeah. In order to be a worshiper, your mind has to be fixed upon the right place, and you have to be willing to assume in either your body, your speech, your listening, something that is pointing you to Christ, to God. So as they were in there, they were looking at sites where they weren't worshipers. So this would be one where, you, you know, here's the church, here's the steeple, and we open the door. There's a lot of people there, but there weren't new worshipers there. And as we look in Nehemiah, understand we have come to a place in the book of Nehemiah where this wall has been built up, and there are people there. There are a lot of people there. But they were not there in, in, in their entirety. Because even though their physical side was there, even though maybe their emotions had been poured into that wall, into the place they were living, they had to come to a place where their spirits, their souls, their mind's eye, their heart's focus needed to be directed towards God. And so when we get to Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 through 6, this is going to help us understand the difference between just coming to a building or just coming to a structure and coming into worship, okay? And the thing that separates it, the thing that is the line in the sand, the thing that draws the biggest difference, the thing that will do exactly what we said needs to do, will focus our attention, will focus our mind... We'll see it here in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Now, just to give you a, a bit of an understanding, Nehemiah had built the wall in 52 days. That's really quick. And as he builds the wall in 52 days, they decide they're going to call all the people, they're going to number them, they're going to gather them together, and they're going to see how many they've got. And they get them all together, and then in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 6, and they're actually, they're on your study guide, those verses, if you want to follow along there. or I'll just read them to you here, you can read along in your Bibles, or on the study guide. But let me read to you what happens when they gather, what happens when they come together, what separates just building a wall from building up worship to God. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Matahiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hekiah, and Messiah on his right hand. And Pediah, Pishal, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadah, Zechariah, and Mishalem on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. What did Ezra do to get these people to move from just gathering together like a bunch of tourists or like a bunch of carpenters or a bunch of wall builders? What did he do to move them from that kind of gathering to gathering together to worship. What did he do? What did Ezra do? We just read it. Huh? He blessed the Lord using what? The law, which is what? Which is the word of God. Probably the book of Deuteronomy, if we had to guess, but we don't know for sure, but he opened up the book of the law. He opened up the scripture. He opened up the Bible, and he just read, and he blessed the Lord in his reading, and all of a sudden, these people who had just gathered to build a wall, all of a sudden, they're moved from that place to a place of worship because The Word of God is being read. The Scripture is being read. And so tonight we're going to look at Scripture alone. We're going to look at why the Bible is so important. In fact, I'm going to ask you that question. First question on the page, why is Scripture so important? What do you think? Why is scripture so important? Yeah. Say it one more time. So that we can know the ways of the Lord? Is that a hand or was that a scratch? What else? Yeah. Because it's the Word of God? What else? Anything else? Why is the scripture so important? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah, if we didn't have it. How would we know the hope that lies in Christ? So here's the answer I'm going to give you to write down, okay? Why is Scripture so important? Because it is the Word of God. It is truth breathed out by God. It is protected and powerful. Now what we're going to do for the rest of our time tonight, we're going to look At this definition, that it's the word of God, it is truth breathed out by God, it is protected and powerful. We're just going to break that down for the rest of our time here tonight, okay? We're going to see why did the people react so strongly to the word of God when it was read in Nehemiah. What's so impactful about this word of God, this scripture, Now, the first thing up there says the Word of God. It is truth, right? That it is truth. Now, when I say that, understand this. I'm not saying it's a truth. Or I'm not simply saying it's just a true book. I am saying it is truth. It is the truth. Now, what I mean by that is, Is that if this is the truth, all other claims, all other realities, all other facts have to be seen through the lens of this truth. All other things have to be seen through the lens of this truth. I'll give you an example. Now, that doesn't mean that it has all truth. For example, nowhere in the Bible are you going to read two plus two equals four doesn't have that truth in there. Is that a truth? Is two plus two, does it really equal four? Does it, does it, does it? Oh, you were so close, and yet you're incredibly wrong. No, two plus two doesn't equal seven. It actually equals four. Now, that is a truth. That is a truth that impacts other truths, for example, you can know a claim is true or false based upon that. Let me give you an example. Um, I the, uh, pretend someone comes up to you and says, "I have five children. My wife gave birth to a set of twins. And then, after the twins were born, we had a boy and a girl and I have five children. What are you going to say? That's wrong, right? How are you going to say that's wrong? Because the truth, two plus two equals four, informs you that that is a false claim. Now that's a simple, an easy, uh, a really kind of ridiculous illustration to tell you that Just because a truth doesn't have every single truth doesn't mean you can't see things through the lens of that truth. If the Bible is truth, then you have to see everything through the lens of that truth. It's not just that it's a truth or that it is true in what it says. No, it is truth. The truth. So, We're going to look at it this way. All right. To know that it is truth, we have to know where it comes from. We know that it's breathed out by God. And we know this. Is that second point on your study guide? Scripture is the primary way God communicates to the world. Scripture is the primary way. God communicates to the world. It is the truth. It is the truth that God uses to communicate to us. Is it the only way God has ever communicated to us? Is it the only way? No, it's not the only way. We can look outside, we can see creation, and we can know that there is a creator. He communicates through creation that there is a... Intelligence to this design. Not only that, in the Bible, there are several times where we know that God came and actually spoke, like in a voice to people. He'd sit there and he'd say, Ava, listen to me, I am God. And you know what would happen? When they'd hear that audible voice of God, they would freak out, they'd be terrified. There were the prophets. And a prophet is someone who would get a message from God, and then he would go and tell that message to the people. God gave us the Scripture. He gave us people who got the message from God and then wrote it down. God gave us Jesus Himself, who is the incarnate Word of God. That's a big word that y'all are going to learn about next month. The incarnate Word of God. But let's see if scripture is the primary way God communicates to the world. Let's see if this is it. We've got some Bible verses. Alright, someone gets 2 Timothy 3.16. Who wants that? It's Casey, I saw your hand. John 17.17, 17, go for it. Uh, Psalm 1, 1 through 1-3, Trent, I saw your hand. And Logan, you take uh, Romans 15.4. Alright? Alright? I'm sorry I didn't see it, bud. You'll get the next series, alright? You'll get the next series. Alright? So... Whenever you are there, read for us second Timothy three, sixteen. All by and It corrects when we are we do Yeah, Casey's version said All scripture is inspired by God. God inspired those words to be written down. The ESV says all scripture is breathed out by God. The NIV says all scripture is God breathed. Literally, to understand, these are the words of God. The primary way He's going to talk to us is through His words. All Scripture is inspired, is breathed out, is God-breathed. What about John 17, 17? Sanctify Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is what? Truth. Your Word is truth. The primary way that God communicates to the world is through His Word, and He will communicate truth through His Word. Your Word is not... It doesn't say your Word is... A truth, does it, Anthony? Doesn't say it's a, it doesn't say it's just it's just true, does it? It says it is truth. All right, Psalm one, one through three. Who had that one? And all that he does, he prospers. That doesn't mean that he gets everything he wants. It means that no matter what comes his way, if his mind, if his his attention, if his focus is grounded in the word of God, the truth of God, the breathed out word of God, if his mind, if his heart is locked up in those things, then no matter what comes his way, he will prosper through it because his hope is built and is founded and is rooted in the word of God, the primary way which God communicates to the world. Romans 15, 4. For whatever is, might have hope. Through the encouragement of the Scriptures, they might have hope. God communicates hope. He communicates it through the Scriptures is the primary way that we have. In fact, I would even argue... Uh, now... I would argue, people disagree with me, and that is fine. This is not one to die for. But I would argue that right now, after Jesus' ascension into heaven, and before He returns, before He sends the prophets at the end, I would say it's the only way that He communicates to the world right now. Or it is the only way... When you have this Word of God, when you've got this Bible... When you have it around you, when, you've got it, when you have access to it, it's the only way he communicates. So if you want to know the words of God, open up your Bibles and look to them. So we've got that understanding that it's the primary way that he communicates to the world. But understand this, the, the second part of that definition, it is the word of God. It is truth breathed out by God. We know its source. We know it's true, we know it's how he communicates to us, and it's the primary way by which he communicates to us, but the next part of that definition, it says uh, right there on on number one, it said, it is truth breathed out by God, and then what? It is protected. It is protected. What does it mean to say it's protected? To save from harm? harm. Now, has the Bible ever suffered harm before? Yeah, it has. It has. And uh, uh, very famously, uh, during uh, the Nazi regime, when they were going around, when they were trying to conquer the world, they would burn Bibles, uh, very famously. Guys, I'm not going to lie to you. When we had 1517, this has been several years ago now, you guys know that at 1517, we don't really give out candy, we give out Bibles, all right? And when they got this one little little guy, and he was little. He had a Bible, and he's carrying around. It's precious to him. He's carrying around, but he doesn't understand what he has. And he's also been given, through 1570, he's been given the indulgence. He's been given, the, uh, he's been given the, uh, uh, the papal bull. And it comes to the part where I say, throw the papal bull and those indulgences into this fire barrel out here. That little guy goes up there, and he looks at Mommy, and Mommy says, you can throw, you can throw him in there. And he takes indulgence papal bull and bible and throws it in there and i like i was in there and i went oh you know, i'm reaching out, out in time so i've seen a bible burned does that mean that what i said is, that it is protected does that mean that that's false that's that's no longer protected is that what that means no why i mean it was burned say it one more time It wasn't intentional. It certainly wasn't intentional. The little guy didn't know what he was doing. But not only was it not intentional, did him burning that copy, did it do any damage to the furtherance of the Word of God? No. People still got it. And you know what? When that little kid left, when that little boy left, you know what we gave him when he walked out the door? Another Bible. Because... The word of God can still be furthered, can still continue to go on. And so if we're looking at scripture as protected, we need to understand this. All right? That scripture is the same today as it was when it was written. Scripture is the same today as it was when it was written. He has protected his word of God. He has kept it safe so that when we look at our English translation of the Scripture, we can know that the words we're reading are the same words that were written down in Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek thousands of years ago even. God has miraculously, beautifully protected His Word of God, and we can know that what we have today is the same. But let's look at the Scripture. There are verses that help us see that. You guys, y'all have the verses? It's good back there? All right. So, Isaiah 40, verse 8. Who's got that? All right, Andre. Who wants Matthew 5, 17, 18, Logan? And Jonathan, you want Mark 13, 31? You'll get one next time. All right. All right. You raised your hand to read from the Bible, and you didn't even have a copy with you. No, you're Isaiah 40, verse 8, but we'll go to Matthew 5:17 and 18 first, and then we'll come to you in uh, just a second. You had that one, Logan? Not a dot, not an iota will pass from the law until it is accomplished. That's Jesus himself saying that he didn't come to do away with the word of God, but that it's protected. Not a dot, not an iota will be lost. You guys know what an iota is? Yeah, it's a Greek letter. Yeah, not even an iota will be lost, which is the smallest many letters. Are you there at Isaiah 40, verse 8? All right, go for it. Mm-hmm. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God will stand forever. Everything else in this entire world may fade away, but the Word of God will still be secure. It is protected. It is powerfully taken care of. What about Mark 13, 31? Heaven and earth will pass away, but but my words will not pass away. Understand, guys... God is protecting these things. But now we've read it from the Bible. Of course, the Bible's going to say this it's protected. Of course, the Bible's going to say there's not a problem. But how do we know? How can we know? Well, I'm going to take you through this. I mean, and you guys are going to get a very quick and very uh, simple and fast version of this. We're going to go through a science called textual criticism, okay? When you come to the science of textual criticism, you've got to know two terms. You've got to go, know manuscripts. You've got to know autographs. Now, a manuscript is the original handwritten copy. Let me go ahead and say this right now. We don't have a single manuscript of any of the books of the Bible. We don't have a single manuscript. We don't have a single original handwritten copy. But you also have to know the term autographs. Now, I'm not talking about going to see a celebrity and handing them a sheet of paper and having them sign their name. That's not the type of autograph I'm talking about. When I'm talking about an autograph, I'm talking about a handwritten copy, a handwritten secondary edition of it. Huh? Oh, I do have a mixed up. I do have, I'm sorry, I have a mixed up. I haven't turned around. Thank you, thank you, thank you, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm so, so sorry. Autogra- I did have them turn around. Autograph is the original. Manuscript is the handwritten copy. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, you take off. You just start taking off, and then you don't even catch your own mistakes. That's why you need someone who will be happy to, to, to help you see uh, if you're mixing up terms. All right, so we're going to break it into Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament and New Testament. All right, we don't have any autographs. We have manuscripts, okay? But when you come to the manuscripts, here's the important thing, okay? You've got to look at how many you've got, and you've got to look at how close uh, the oldest manuscript is to when it was written, okay? The closer it is in time, the better. The more you have, the better. Does that make sense? All right, let's look at the Old Testament. Let me tell you guys this story real quick. All right, Around the Dead Sea, there are some caves that are cut into the side of these cliffs. You guys will see a picture of it up on the screen. Uh, There are these caves that are carved into the cliffs. It looks like that, okay? Around the Dead Sea, there was this boy who was a shepherd. One of his flock left, and so he goes to look after it, goes to find the sheep. He gets a buddy of his. They go looking for this part of his flock. They come across a bunch of caves dug into the side of the cliffs like that. And just like any other boy, they come along there, they've been looking for a long time for the sheep, they get tired of doing it, they sit there and say this, here's what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna pick up a rock, I'm gonna throw it into that cave, I can do it. The other one, no you can't, yes I can. Well, he throws it up there, of course, he goes into the cave, it starts becoming a game. I can hit that one, no way, and they throw it up in there, I can hit that one, no way, they throw it up there, okay. One of them says, I'll throw a rock up into that cave, chucks it with all his might. It goes into the cave, but this one was different because when that rock goes into the cave, they hear a sound. They hear this sound. Glass breaks. Do you know what boys do anytime they hear glass breaking? They take off. They run like they've stolen something, all right? And so they run away. They eventually work up their nerves. They come back to the cave, They climb up in it, and when they go inside there, they see this vase has been broken. And in this vase, there's a scroll. And this cave and all the caves around it were filled with vases containing scrolls. Now, why am I telling you this story? This is an important story because this was in the 1940s. And at that time, they were saying, there was a lot of people coming up there and saying, the Old Testament cannot be trusted. The Old Testament cannot be true. The words that you have cannot really be the words that were written all those years ago because here's the thing, you might have a lot of manuscripts, but they're all really new. You don't have any old ones whatsoever. The, newest, the, the, the oldest ones you've got are thousands of years removed from when the originals were written. You can't know that the Old Testament is true these boys go up there, they see these vases that are broken, or one of them is broken. They see all these scrolls, they go and they get their family, they gather them up, they take them to their village. They call these people saying, hey, you need to come and see this because we don't know what it is we've got. Some people came out there and said, I don't think it's really important, just trash. One guy went out there and he goes and he starts looking at it. And he starts opening up these scrolls. And you know what he discovers when he opens up the scrolls? Those little pieces, uh, some of them were, were breaking up because they were very, very, very old. They were the Old Testament scriptures. They were the oldest Old Testament scriptures we have. They're known now as the Dead Sea Scrolls. They had thousands of fragments because they were old. They were breaking up. You'll see some of them come up on the screen. I've actually been to a exhibit where I got to see them. The Isaiah scroll, guys, I mean, it could go from this wall through that wall. It's unreal how long it is. And some of them are in great shape like that. Some of them are a little bit more crumbly. But when they took and when they compared the words that they had then, the oldest Uh, the oldest copies they had at the time, and when they compared them to the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are thousands of years older, when they compared them, do you know what they discovered? Not a dot, not an iota was missing. It's powerfully been protected. And even in some moments... They would go up there and because... Here's the way they would do it. I mean, it was a handwritten copy. A legit handwritten copy. They would sit there and they would meticulously write it down. They would look at the original and they would look at it and they would, write here, look at the original, write one letter at a time in some instances. Painstakingly copying from original to copy. And there are some places... And this is a, a, a mind boggling thing, okay? There were some places, like here in Isaiah, you see an area that's highlighted, right? There were some places where you saw these kind of little marks there. Where you said, what, what is that? Is that an error? Is that a mistake? Let me explain to you what it is. The first one, the top one, this is Isaiah chapter 3. Uh, Really, those are verses 17 and 18, but what you're looking at total is verses 16 through 20. But those, the parts that are highlighted are in verses 17 and 18. That's the Isaiah scroll. All right, and on that top one, the bottom letters, and when you read Hebrew, you're reading from from right to left. It's D-W-N-Y is what our English letter equivalent would be which stands for the Lord. But the scribe, as he was copying it down, the scribe sat there and said, wait a minute. He was obviously copying from a copy. He started thinking, wait a minute. I've seen, I've had to copy this before because that's what scribes would do. They would copy. And he said, and I think in other places, it wasn't D-W-N-Y that was written down. It was Y-H-W-H. And so he put dots at the bottom of it, and he even put on top of it, YHWH. Now, down there, the second one, it has YHWH at the bottom. If you look at them, it's the same word. But he sat there and he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, when I copied this before, it was DWNY. So he puts little dots down there at the bottom, and he put the DWNY up there. Because here's what he was doing as a good scribe. He was writing down there... I'm writing down, I'm copying what I have. But I've seen it copied a different way before. I've had to copy a different way before. And so he's saying, I need someone to go back and to look at all the other copies and see which one's right. And when we go back and when we look at all the other copies, we see the scribe was absolutely right. The scribe was able to not only remember those things... But he was able to, in, in Isaiah 3, 17 and 18, he was able to have that kind of a recall to where he's able to put those things down there. To where what we have today, we see that he was right. He was saying, no, 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 I think the, the other translation was right. I'm going to copy it exactly like I've got it in front of me. But you guys need to go back and check this. And when we went back and checked it, they were able to see that the scribe was right, we know today without a shadow of a doubt because of things like the Dead Sea Scrolls, because of the science of textual criticism that the words that were originally written down are the words we have today. Obviously, we read in English. That's in Hebrew. But that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? I'm going to fly through this, okay? The New Testament is just simply this. Remember how I told you the date between when it was written to the earliest copy we have is important? And you've got to have the less time is better. And the number, of manu- uh, the number of copies that you have, the number of manuscripts you have is, if you have more, it's better. There's several great works of time. There. You guys heard of Plato, right? Plato's works were written between 427 to 347 B, uh, B.C. The earliest copy is 900 A.D. That's 1,200 years. In between when he wrote it to our earliest copy, we've got seven copies. Nobody says that we have anything wrong from Plato's copies. Caesar is in a similar uh, thing. He's got a thousand years in between his, the date written in the earliest copy. He got ten copies. This is the big daddy, okay? This is the big daddy of Sailor's. Homer's Iliad. You guys ever heard of that? It was written in nine. 100 BC and the earliest copy is 400 BC there is only 500 years between when he wrote it to the earliest copy that is awesome and not only is that awesome but still today do you know how many copies of the Iliad we have of those early early copies do you know how many we have 643 we know without a shadow of a doubt that the Iliad that we have today is exactly what they wrote it back then now let's move to the New Testament the New Testament was written between 50 to 1830 AD less than 100 years and the number of copies we still have today in the Greek the original language 5,600 still today that's just the Greek if you look at the other languages that were copied, you've got over 24,000. The Word of God is miraculously, wonderfully protected. But not only that, and I've got to move through this, the Scripture is powerful. And here's, what is, here's the last point. Scripture is the weapon given to us to combat against the world. It is The weapon given to us to combat against the world. For the sake of time, I'm not going to have you flip to all the verses that I've got up there. But I just want to remind you of Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And in those verses, we see the temptation of Jesus. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The devil himself comes up there. The devil himself is going to attack uh, Jesus. And he goes up there and... Jesus has been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting from Deuteronomy. The way that Jesus himself, the son of God, the way he combated against the world and the devil himself, was he quoted scripture, Adam. He used the scripture to combat against it. Now you need to understand this, guys. There are people writing garbage today, and I'm showing you these. Yes, I own these books. These are absolute filth and garbage. These are heretical because what they're sitting there and saying is they're saying that these books are coming from inspiration the same way that the bible came from inspiration this one right here they even made a movie about it heaven is for real it's about a little boy who says he has visions of heaven and then he comes back to earth and he tells his he he it's it, it's not great reading if you go through it, if you read it, Colton, he will see his dad do something. It reminds him about times he thinks he saw in heaven, and then he'll talk about it until he gets bored, and then he runs away and go play. This guy, a guy named Don Piper, don't confuse him with John Piper. John Piper's the good one. Don Piper's the bad one. All right? Don Piper says he was killed in a car accident. Paramedics took him. For 90 minutes, he was dead, and for those 90 minutes, he got to spend it in heaven. Guys, if these people really went to heaven, if they really saw those things and they came back and they could write them down, they need to be scripture. They need to be in the Bible. If God is inspiring those things, they need to be in scripture. This one's one of the most dangerous ones of all time. Maybe not of all time, but of recent times. The Jesus Callings books. Listen to this. Now remember how we said it was inspired by God? Scripture was inspired by God? This is in her introduction. This is where she wrote this book. This is what it says here. This is Sarah uh, Sarah Young writing this. She said, The following year I began to wonder if I too could receive messages during my times of communing with God. I had been writing in prayer journals for years, but that was one-way communication. I did all the talking. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Oh, what a terrible statement. I yearned for more than the primary means by which God talked." I knew that God communicated with the Bible. But I yearned for more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. Listen to this. I decided to listen to God. This is right here from the book. I decided to listen to God with pen in hand, writing down whatever I believed he was saying. I felt awkward the first time I tried, but I received a message. It was short, but she received a message. My journaling had changed from monologue to to dialogue. I knew these writings were not inspired as Scripture is. Well, how are they not inspired if God is moving your hand to write those things down? And she says, I want to share some of the messages I have received. And then guys, so I'll I'll skip over so it's written down in in, in days. Let me look over to November 11th. Let's see what word Let's see what word Jesus calling God, what he had to say for us for today, for November eleven. Do not let any set of circumstances intimidate you. The more challenging your day, the more of my power I place at your disposal. You seem to think that I empower you equally each day, but this is not so. Is this Sarah Young claiming to write? No, she's saying God is writing these words through her that's true, we need to include this in the Bible. It's not true. Guys, there are plenty of people sitting there saying that they are bringing a word to us, but you try. There's a reason why when Jesus was faced by Satan himself, he didn't say, wait, what did Sarah Young have to say? When I give you no special guidance, stay where you are. There's a reason why he didn't go to that. He went to Scripture. Because it's protected, it's powerful, it's truth, it's God-breathed. Nehemiah knew that. Ezra knew that. And when he came and when he read the word of God, the people knew exactly what they were hearing. We pray for us. The band's going to come up and play. And we will be dismissed. Most gracious, Holy Father, we do love you. We do praise You. I ask that You would use this lesson for Your glory, that You would help us to see and view Your Scripture as of primary importance in the Bible. Let it be what separates this church from just tourism. It's Your Son's name, Jesus. We ask these things and for His sake. Amen.